everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Reading Party Podcast with Megan and Lexi. This episode continues our season looking at modern retellings of the Iliad and the Odyssey, ancient epics known for both brutal violence and instances of sexual assault. This episode is not suitable for under-18s. We hope you have your favourite beverage and snack ready to go, because we've got our teas and are ready to start spilling the tea on our latest ancient story. Hello, welcome back to Reading Party. This is the wrap-up episode for our very first season. We've been looking at adaptations of the Iliad and the Odyssey. Lexi, how are you doing? I am very sad that the season is over because this is Homer and it's material that we know and love. But I'm also really kind of excited because, oof, that was a lot of Homer, and I, I've never just sat down and done so much Homer at once, and, and it was a bit overwhelming. But, like, I'm, I'm really glad that we did it, and it, it was a great experience, but also, I don't know if I, I could be like, yes, I recommend doing all this Homer back to back to back. Maybe not spend an entire year watching and reading adaptations of the same two epics. It was a lot, <laughs> but, yeah, very fun. I mean, maybe there's other dedicated classes who just can't get enough but i don't know yeah it it's been a lot but it's been really fun i've enjoyed it it has been a lot i agree yeah but i've really enjoyed it and i think something that we've said a couple of times through the season is how interesting it's been because the process of watching and reading all this stuff back to back to back kind of gives you really interesting points of comparison when you're going back through and talking about it. It's been a lot, but I think it's been a really, a really useful academic exercise. I don't know if we'd call it that, but I think it's been really useful. I mean, I would if they did it as an experiment because it's done wonders for keeping things fresh because normally, like, it's not that I forget. You can't forget what happens in either of Homer's epics. But like, I think as we discovered and as we saw some of the smaller details, though, that you'd be more likely to not remember as well those were helped along just by the fact that we were constantly doing the same thing, but also getting different angles. And so then with every new thing that we watched or read, they would emphasize a different thing and that would come to light. And we, and it's a good way of really doing a deep dive, I think, into almost every chapter because you will find something different. So I did like that. I did like that. I think it was also really interesting because when you're watching Brad Pitt's Troy, you might not necessarily pick up on all the bits that are left out. But then when you've watched so many and read so many, you get all the little details from all the different adaptations and something pops up and you're like, oh, that wasn't in anything else that we've watched. This is really interesting. I hadn't even realized that it was missing. Like when we did the the Odyssey, the Odyssey miniseries, I think is the only one that had Aeolus, the wind god. And I hadn't even clocked that all the other episodes were missing it all the other adaptations were missing it and he pops up and i think oh yeah that's really cool i'm trying to think what did they leave out consistently maybe not something that was left out i liked if we think about natalie haynes opening with creusa i thought that was really cool and it brings in an entirely different epic 
Yes. But it's funny that hers was about the Trojan War. But I feel like, yeah, we did get a lot of characters. But maybe it was just because of when some of them were set in the timeline. But a lot of it also felt a bit disconnected. Like it wasn't so much just Iliad related. Yeah, no, she she definitely brought in a lot of, of extra material. But... I think it was a clever play on, play around with the timelines, though, because every single character that she did is related. But some of these chapters, man, they're like 20 years after the war. Some are like prologues before. So I don't immediately connect them. But that's the thing that I love about her book is that all these characters who you wouldn't actually connect to the Iliad, suddenly you see the connection and you're like, oh, like, okay, maybe they're not in Troy during the war. Either they had some kind of effect on it or they were impacted by it or it, yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah, no. And I'm, I'm going to pull us back because knowing you and I, this is in grave danger of just being another Natalie Haynes fan episode. Oh, I know. Well, we have a list of superlatives. We made them like a list of senior superlatives, which I love. And that's on my mind because I just attended my 10 year high school reunion like two weeks ago so we had the yearbooks guys they were out and we saw all the superlatives and all the photos and so i'm like yes this is excellent well, it's not it's not quite a 10-year retrospective but i think one year retrospective is probably a good place to start so do you want to dive into the awards if we will yes of course so i'm going to start what was the most surprising or unexpected adaptation for you Oh, see, now I could go a couple different ways with it because so they're surprising in terms of I'm surprised because it's just wrong. But then there's also the good surprising where I was like, this is amazing. So I guess I'll do two quick answers. Most surprising for good adaptation. I really want to say Troy Fall of a City because it was excellent and they included so much that I didn't think they would. And so many times I found myself saying, they're not going to go there, right? And then they went there, but it's so hard to pick. But I'll, I'll go with Fall of a City. And then most surprising in terms of just shockingly bad, I'm going to go with uh, Helen of Troy. That was just hilarious, I think, in all ways. And I would love to think that it was supposed to be hilarious, but I don't think they envisioned it as a comedy. No, no, that's what makes it even better. The fact that they took themselves entirely too seriously. Other than, as I think, as, as we noted in the episode, other than that shocking one extremely sexually violent scene at the end, which did not fit the tone, so I don't know why it was put in, because that was very disturbing. It's like someone realized right at the end, oh, wait, this is a story about war and there's a lot of sexual assaults in the source material. So we should just put some of that in for authenticity's sake. Yeah, in like the last five minutes. So I was like, okay. So definitely most surprising in terms of bad was that one. Also just because they didn't have any of the duels and then the fact that I, I still can't get their Achilles out of my head. Big buff dude dumb brute i guess just raw achilles smash and kill yep what were yours <sighs> well i think wrath goddess definitely tops the list for me because it was amazingly written but just how maya took the story and rearranged key elements 
but still kept a lot of it kind of true to the Homeric epic. I really enjoyed it. It was very surprising and fantastic in terms of historical detail as well. But it was unexpected, surprising, and the ending was the craziest ending I think I've ever had in a historical novel. Space Kirby battle will forever be <laughs> indelibly etched into my brain. So I think for the, the Iliad, definitely Wrath Goddess. For the Odyssey, I think the most unexpected was the Lost Books of the Odyssey. And I think it was unexpected because I didn't actually do any research before picking up the book. I just was like, oh, look, this is about the Odyssey. Let's read this one. And I picked it up. And as we talked about in that episode, it's absolutely bizarre and wonderful, but very bizarre, very unexpected. Good answers. Yeah. Oh, Space Kirby. What a throwback to our first read through. Oh, yes. Love Space Kirby. Oh. So having touched on Wrath Goddess for historical accuracy. What did you think was the most historically accurate adaptation that we came across? Oh, that's hard. I think, you know, this one has got to go to a book because books are always going to be a little better about accuracy than film because you don't have to cater to a modern audience and, and, and make money off of the budget. So I'm just going to go with Thousand Ships because Natalie Haynes, not only is she a fantastic writer and comedian and like all this other amazing stuff, broadcaster, but she is a classicist. And we've talked to her. I know her. Like she is the most passionate person uh, and about classics, but also about doing it the right way. And so, you know, she does her research. She does the reading like so much blood sweat and tears goes into her writing so even if it's like a a fun fictional narrative you know she's done a shit ton of research about Greek mythology or the characters and so it's just it's so well written and it's so well done so I yeah I've got to say a thousand ships for me I think I'm probably with you there yeah T like t tied with wrath goddess because we do have an Egyptian princess writing cuneiform in wrath goddess which yeah. I, I'm sorry. I love Natalie. The book is incredible, but you just, you really can't, for an Assyriologist, you cannot top that. I know. It's, it's, I was like, not. I was going to, I was going to say it's going to come down to the whole Assyriology thing, right? You, like, really you got to give love to, to cuneiform when, when you can find it. So I think I know what the answer is to this next question, but maybe I will be surprised. If, if you had to pick one or two that you will never watch or read again, just know what what would you be going with <laughs> oh no okay it's tied between two because i honestly just cannot pick it's tied between troy the odyssey another accidental comedy i think yeah i had no idea what was happening but actually also the odyssey mini they called it a mini series but it was basically a movie right because it was like three hours on youtube the odyssey mini series from 97 i really didn't like that for multiple reasons but dear gods no but i hated both but i i guess if i had to pick one yeah it'd be troy the odyssey what about you so I, i'm also going with troy the odyssey it, it was bizarre <laughs> and comical but not funny enough to really like helen of troy i will watch that again possibly while drunk probably <laughs> with a classicist like you and i should have a viewing party at some point if we're ever in the same state just yes. have a drink and watch it mm -hmm. 
But Troy the Odyssey was not good enough. It wasn't funny enough. So yeah, not that one. But also, Odysseus Voyage to the Underworld. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> it was so... and it, it, it approaches Helen of Troy in terms of so bad it's good. But it's just so bizarre and frustrating. And I, I still can't get over Odysseus leaping out of this pit of blood. Like, very badly done pit of blood, if we're honest. It just is, it's not, it's just not good. It's not good. I mean, not to mention the the appalling actress that you hated. <laughs> oh my god. And the bizarre Christian <laughs> overtones that still make zero sense to me. Like, and vampires. What? Just, oh my gosh. But you have to rewatch it for Christos. What Christos was, was the best part. Christos was good. I don't know why Jesus was there <laughs> at all. I don't know why there's a hellfire cross. I don't know why Homer is writing about vampire bats. Well, not even vampire bats. Why he's writing about vampires. There are just so many unanswered questions there. And at least with Helen of Troy, <laughs> it's, it's overacted. It's bad and cheesy. But there's some really good little, like, moments and it's kind of introduced me to the fact that Helen of Troy actually does get abducted by Theseus at some point. I had no idea. That was really cool and interesting and, and very, again, unexpected coming from just having read the Odyssey. Yes, but Voyage to the Underworld is just, it, it was just confusing. Yeah, and I mean, I still don't know why Persephone was like trapped on an no, island and the other gods no, wanted her no. to stay. We don't know why she was cast out. I mean, apart from taking over the world, but I just seems so, yeah. Is is this like an archangel thing? Like another biblical thing? Like cast out of heaven? Or the the fallen angel biblical it thing? Felt, it felt kind of like that. Yeah, just a lot of very weird pseudo-Christian mythology overlay. Yeah, it was strange. And and book-wise, book, book -wise, I actually really enjoyed all of them. I think it, it will be a while before I reread silence of the girls and women of troy just for like emotional <laughs> reasons because no i really enjoyed them but they were heavy heavy reading to me they're they're kind of in the class of books where i really enjoy but kind of would never want to read again unless i had to i don't know to me it's like there's a special category right because for movies i really enjoyed grave of the fireflies but i also never want to watch that again because it was so scarring on that same vein, are there any of the books or the movies or the TV shows that you think are going to become old friends? You'll revisit them every year or two. I for sure planned on reading Natalie Haynes' work. I mean, because I first read it in February 2021. So I knew I, that was going to be a reoccurring listen also just because Natalie reads her own audiobooks, as I've said m many times. And so it's it's nice to have her read it to me. Um, but of the new stuff, maybe... I want to say Troy Fall of a City, but it's so long and it's so heavy that actually I don't think I want. I mean, I, I guess just for like levity's sake, I'd want something lighter in tone, but also all the lighter ones I feel like were the terrible ones. It's, it's quite hard, I feel, to take the Iliad and the Odyssey and make lighthearted viewing without it being terrible. Put it this way. I really do love things about the Brad Pitt Troy. And I've watched that every couple years apart because someone's asked me to or it's been on or I've been doing something with classics. So 
I feel like I'll just keep doing that. It's fun to pull out and fun to see. Also, I think it has a lot to do with like it's a lot of my favorite actors, except for the god awful Orlando Bloom. But yeah, I don't know. It's weird because I could see myself rereading or rewatching almost everything we've done, except for the couple we mentioned. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know if like I really love them enough to, to like do it yearly. I don't know. Maybe it's it's like a, when I'm, when the mood strikes. Yeah, maybe maybe yearly is too often. I don't think any of these are things that I will rewatch frequently. I know I'll I'll rewatch some of them. I will go back through Troy Fall of a City again. It'll be a little while, but I, I'll definitely go back through it again. But when I rewatch stuff regularly, it tends to be like The Simpsons or Bob's Burgers or something that's just. I can sit Mindless. down and have it on. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to induce any really strong emotional reaction before I go to bed. Bookwise, I think I will definitely reread Thousand Ships and Circe again and Wrath Goddess Sing. Again, maybe not yearly, but they will, I suspect by the time I am an old lady, they will be very well-thumbed copies. Oh, that's true. I forgot. I definitely will read Wrath Goddess again. I don't know how often I'd, I'd do it, but certainly it it is packed so full of detail yes it will be reread again so you mentioned orlando bloom who obviously is paris in brad pitt's troy can we and again in the preliminary episode that we did our predictions i think we both said that there is no way we will ever find a likable helen in paris what are your thoughts are there a likable pair in any of the things that we've watched or are they just wholeheartedly awful all the time i <laughs> this is like the one question i knew was coming that i still i don't feel i have a great answer to but there is no answer after a whole season i can still confidently say i don't like either of them so i don't think that will ever change and they had like a billion opportunities to be redeemed and every single one was just disappointing i would say well, it's interesting because the Paris and the Helen that I feel were best done came from two different adaptations. I don't know if it's like I was expecting it, but yeah, of course, like if you get one good one, you're not going to get a good second one in the same adaptation. It must be, it must be a rule. You have to have one shitty one while the other is going to be redeemed. One of the Helens that I enjoyed more, I think, they did a better job of humanizing her in Troy, Fall of a City, although she still wasn't great. You think Helen is really, really hard because she's like the, the root cause of, of a war, a huge war. And you can make the argument, right, that it's it's male hubris and, and paternalistic possession of women that is actually the root cause. But it's really hard, I think, to get that across and to make Helen a redeemable character. Because she doesn't like do anything really to try to stop it. And now, now I know that people say, no, well, it's fate. So she kind of just accepted it and was like living her best life as a Trojan until boom, the war was over. But I don't know. Like she, I guess that's what I respected about the fall of a city version of her, which is like, they did have that one whole scene where she was like trying to escape and legitimately leave and just be like, I'm going back. I've Bye. made a terrible mistake. Yeah. But I did not like the characterization of her leaving her daughter Hermione and just being like, bye. Uh, that was weird. But also there wasn't a 
Helen who had like a better explanation. I mean, I guess maybe the Helen of Troy, again, still not a child, but due to the fact that they, they casted her on the younger side, I could sort of be like, oh yes, here she's just the young, naive. Naive impulsivity, it read quite well. Exactly, like the naivete worked well in her favor because then you could totally believe, oh, it's like a Romeo and Juliet where she's so young and ruled by passion that like she just went and whatever. <sighs> but yeah, and then Paris I hated across the board. It's universally awful. I don't know, I refuse. I don't wanna pick because he's just terrible everywhere. So I don't think I have a best Paris. He's just awful. I don't know, what about you? I feel similarly, actually, I think Fall of a City is probably my favorite Helen. And I use that term very loosely. There are like things that I, and we talked about it when we were going through things I had problems with, but I think she was the most sympathetically done. Margaret George in the Helen of Troy book, I think tried to address that problem of why is she leaving with having it be, oh, it's the God's fault. But I like, it wasn't lent into enough. It was a couple of throwaway remarks here and there, and it didn't. I think if, if it had been more of a, an emphasized reason, I think it, it would have been, I think it would have helped to make Helen a lot more likable. I, I really did like her in, and she's appears very briefly in Ithaca, a novel of Homer's Odyssey, where she has that matrimonial fight with Menelaus. And you're like, I totally see why you left. This man is awful. But she was, she was so vividly drawn that even though I didn't like her character, it was a really great portrayal. So I did enjoy that. Paris, if I had to pick one, it would probably be Fall of a City. But generally speaking, he's, I just don't find him very interesting. He feels a lot more like a plot device in a lot of these things than than Helen does or than any of the other character does. And obviously in Troy Full of the City, he's a major character. He's not just a plot device, but also he's kind of like really milky tea, mildly disappointing in all ways. Yeah, it just seems insane. I wish I could just easily pull to mind and be like, okay, out of all the shitty Parises, there's one that stands out, but there, there isn't though. There really isn't. No. Okay. We have two, three more questions and then we will wrap up. Who is your best or favorite Odysseus? Oh, this is so hard because we've seen so many dynamic ones. Oh, and then uh, I don't know whether to pull from the Odyssey or the Iliads. We've seen okay. How about you choose one from the Odyssey and one from the Iliad? Okay, because because he just plays such a prominent role in both. Okay, so for the Iliad version, I'm sorry, I love my Sean Bean. I love my Sean Bean. He brings such a gravitas to the role, and he's like fantastic. And I would totally watch. It's like. A series just about Sean Bean as Odysseus. But I do also have to shout out to the Odysseus from Fall of a City because he was excellent. Like truly excellent. He would be my favorite from the Iliad, the, the guy in Fall of a City. Because he's so good. He really is. He did a great job. You've got fantastic backstory there. You've got this like really cunning, wily guy who, yeah, no, beautifully done. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, we've got our, our Odysseus from the Iliad. From the Odyssey, I have a soft spot for Kirk Douglas in Ulysses. There's something excellent. One, I just, I, I like some of the older 
films because some of the newer ones tend to either go overboard or have too much cgi or do weird things and i don't know maybe i have a maybe it's wrong but i have this impression that like when they would do sort of classical receptiony type things back in the day they were taken more seriously like the tech wasn't great but you could tell the amount of love they put into that production i'm, I'm gonna go with kirk douglas what about you my answer is a bit of a cheat. I really liked all of the different Odysseuses, Odyssei in the Lost Books of the Odyssey. I liked having that kaleidoscopic variety of characters and in such little snapshots. I really did think that was cool. I like it because you see the different parts of the personality. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I want to do the superlative for best Achilles. Yes. Because there's so many great Achilles. Oh, there are so many great Achilleses. I mean, there there were several bad ones too, but for the good ones. I mean, Wrath Goddess Sing. Oh, yeah. Such so a hard. good, such a good Achilles. Yeah. And non-traditional Achilles, so I'm going to choose another one. But love, love the character of Achilles in Wrath Goddess Sing. I think she's fantastic. She is fantastic. I mean, it is Achilles, so I guess we don't have to separate her from the rest. But if we wanted to, we, I suppose, could because she is non-traditional. But this is true. I did like, I liked the Achilles in Fall of a City. Mm -hmm. I felt like that was a good philosopher, king, warrior type character. Enjoyed that very much. And Song of Achilles. I didn't mm -hmm. like him, but I felt like there was a really nice character development. You get this kind of sweet, maybe not kind, but not cruel boy. And you see him grow into this megalomaniac. But it's also hard because when I think of Song of Achilles, I'm like, yeah, but it's also told through a bit of rose-colored glasses because it's from Patroclus's oh, yeah. point of view. So then you're like, yeah, I know where this goes. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like you already know what my answer for best Achilles is going to be. Um, maybe. Well, if I've spent a whole season talking about how I prefer my Achilles to be the strong, silent, deadly philosopher king type. So, of course, shout out to David Giazzi's performance as Achilles in Fall of a City. Because that, I think, it was just I've great. learned, is my favorite Achilles. I don't like the rah-rah ones. I mean, Brad Pitt's could be the sort of strong, silent, but he did shoot off his mouth too much in a way that the one from Fall of a City did not. So, yup, David Giazzi, favorite Achilles. Okay, so best treatment of the gods, book, movie, TV, whatever. Uh, Who do you think did it best? Oh, so hard because no one does the gods well. I'll give you two. My favorite on film is Fall of a City because they found a way to have them sort of show that they're sort of around and they're these like benevolent beings that don't really care. And you don't see a lot of them, but they're there. So you know that they're there and they're impacting it. But you, because you have the Zeus who's like, no, you are not allowed to interfere. You cannot do anything. That spelled it out pretty well. And then in print, I love Natalie Haynes' Goddesses chapter. And I know it's short. But it's so good. It's excellent. So those are my two. What about you? I have like four. Having having said all the way through this season how difficult it is to do it right, I think definitely Fall of a City did an excellent job. They were there, they were present, but they weren't overwhelming. And they they were kind of present at the key moments where I felt like they needed to be present. Like Apollo spreading the plague and that battle scene with each goddess like choosing their hero. And I thought that was fantastic. A uh, thousand ships, obviously, because we've spoken about this. Cersei, I mm -hmm. thought it's it's a little bit different because Cersei herself is divine. So I feel like it was a lot easier 
for Madeleine Miller to take the gods as a character base and really use them in the story. It's not trying to paint this world as a, a world inhabited only by mortals with occasional interference from the gods. Like this is a book about the gods and Wrath Goddessing. I think one of the most innovative ways of having the gods presence in the Iliad and kind of mildly disturbing, well, more than mildly disturbing, I would say very disturbing and disturbing and unexpected. Yeah, because that Helen is downright fucking terrifying. I don't know. It's hard to like rate them because honestly, they're all so good in such different ways. So it's so hard to pick. I even enjoyed them in the Odyssey miniseries. It was a lot more cheesy and I wouldn't say it's well done as Fall of a City, but I did enjoy them popping up when they did. Yeah, they just lost me when you have golden fucking, what was it, Hermes or Apollo or someone just floating in a sexy pose like Playboy. No, no, no. That just lost me. Okay, final question before we wrap up. What was the one that you enjoyed the most? What was the most fun for you? Again, super hard, because I'm like, did I enjoy it because it was fantastic, or did I enjoy it because it's awful? Pick one of each. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. I'll start with the awful one. Because of my well-documented soft spot for Voyage to the Underworld, <laughs> because... I will always have a soft spot because it's so bad that it's good. I don't love the Christian references, but those aside, it's just so bizarre that it's hilarious. So yeah, that's my, it's so bad, it's awesome. And that one I've come back to and watched every couple of years. So actually, I probably will continue to do that just because it's funny. But one that I enjoyed most, oh God, and I loved all of them in different ways, I mean, I don't want to be cliche because I feel like I've been using the same three adaptations again and again, but like, you can't beat quality. So, a thousand ships. I mean, I think like, there's a reason we're both gravitating to the same small selection. They're just very, very well done. Because they are standouts in a very large field, but... I guess if, if you keep coming back to it, then you know it's good. Because, like, we have a lot of fantastic material. I enjoyed all the books we've read and some of the movies and TV shows. But you can't beat quality. And I think Natalie's combination of research and wit and everything she brings to it makes it a standout. Because as much as I loved all the other books, yeah, I could probably re-listen to their audiobooks. But, like, none of them really stand out as like tomorrow if i'm like yeah i'm gonna read something or listen to something i would only pick her book out of the stack in my audiobook library so i think that's a sign of really good quality what about you i think my so bad it's good is the helen of troy miniseries it's mm -hmm. so funny and it, it's fun and it's i think as lighthearted as it can be the last like five minutes notwithstanding so i think that's probably my so bad is good pick for just my straight up favorite. I think either Cersei or A Thousand Ships. I really enjoyed both of them. Yeah, they're just excellent books. So hard to choose. I feel almost guilty like choosing. Yeah, it's like they all have qualities. So I was going to say they all have good qualities. I'm not sure that being so bad it's good is necessarily a deliberately good quality. So maybe they don't have all have qualities, but they all have things about them that I think are enjoyable and commendable even if that enjoyment comes from what the hell is going on and why are these people playing dice for Helen of Troy? <laughs> yeah, question for you. One, if you were going to try to remember our predictions, 
how many do you think came true or did not come true? I think there were a couple along the lines of this is how we feel about specific characters and our minds will not be changed. And I think generally that has held Telemachus. I can't remember if it was a prediction, but I was never expecting to enjoy Telemachus. And actually Ithaca, a novel of Homer's Odyssey, that gave me a Telemachus I could, I could get behind. And while I don't like Helen still, there have been adaptations that have made me more sympathetic to her, maybe think a bit more deeply about her situation in a, in a way that is less, she just kind of said fuck everything and, and went with this handsome stranger and more of a, maybe this woman was in a really, really awful situation and this was the only way out. Maybe she was a 16 year old and this seemed like a good idea at the time because we've all been there. I didn't think about it, but I think from what I remember, one of the other ones was, would we find an adaptation that made us not like, but change our minds about Agamemnon? And at the end of everything, I think the fall of a city Agamemnon was excellently portrayed. And I think that that made me have a little bit more sympathy because the actor did such a great job in portraying like the pain and the hurt from sacrificing Iphigenia and you, you saw you didn't even just hear it you saw the backstory you saw the pain you saw how it pained him to trick his beautiful little girl into thinking that she was gonna get married or do this thing and because they set it up with showing us the whole sacrifice of Iphigenia and the fact that he really was a man who was tough and he loved his daughter it did a better job of contextualizing this rage he has towards the Trojans because when you see him make the decisions and you see him talk with Menelaus and he's like no they must pay you know what I've sacrificed to be here and like having seen it on screen, it made it much more heart-wrenching. So good job, Fall of the City. You've done a fantastic service for everyone who does not like Agamemnon. I still don't like him better, but they have humanized him in a way that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, I think generally speaking, I still intensely dislike him, especially in Helen of Troy. He's just unpleasant. But Fall of a City definitely gives you this nice, not nice, but it gives you the background and you, it really, you see the descent into madness and despair. And he goes from being this really hard, I felt like morally upstanding, reasonable person into, well, what, what we see at the end in the Agamemnon that we kind of expect from the other adaptations. So I definitely think that was the most sympathetic. And in terms of character arc, I think it was the best Agamemnon arc that we saw. Totally agree. I think that's the end of our superlatives. And I, I wish I could remember more of our predictions, but I think we did a, a good job recapping it. Anyway, if the point that people take from this recap is that we loved going through all these, but also would not want to do again on such an intense schedule but also read all these things watch half the things some of them some of them i don't know if you want to see how spectacularly bad some of these are if you like bad films then great do it if i'm just wrapping up the season with final thoughts this did so much to cement my pre-existing love for homer's works and it makes me excited for all the new possible adaptations that are coming out i know emily wilson is finishing up a translation of the iliad to go with her odyssey translation so that's not direct reception but it's gonna be great and there's i don't know it's gotten me like excited and also though if anything if i've learned anything it's that i 
really should go back and read the original because I haven't read that since getting out of school because it's, you know, rightfully very long. But I think that I'm ready to redo the original because now we've seen all these adaptations and I have them all in my mind. So I'd like to reread the original and kind of see if anything changes based on all I know now. Final thoughts from you. I think when we started this, I was a bit worried that I'd get bored of Odyssey and Iliad adaptations. And that absolutely hasn't happened. I think because they're all, even using the same source material, they're also different. They're differently written, they're differently shot, they include different bits of the story, and they're reinterpreted in wildly different ways. Sometimes, I'm not mentioning any names, <clears throat> Odysseus Voyage to the Underworld, in ways that are completely insane and bear no resemblance to the actual myth that they're stealing their name from. But it was still really really, I keep saying the word interesting, but it, it's true. It's been so interesting to read them all and see the variety and the like really diverse interpretations that different people have come up with. And I am honestly looking forward to finding more to read and to watch and possibly not this year, but it's, it's something that I will keep doing. And I think it really does give me greater appreciation for the original source material, but also for like human ingenuity. Let's put it that way. There are some very, very clever, imaginative people out there, and I feel very glad to have experienced so much of their work. Yeah, same. And I'm excited for all that that comes next. Although I think when we are in the same state, we should definitely hold a launch party. And I would love to see other historians' reactions. Just uh, like pick pick a bad adaptation and. You know, maybe we'll put on Helen of Troy or something. <laughs> Troy the Odyssey. But yeah, no, I've I've enjoyed it and I'm really looking forward to season two. So Yeah, so that's a wrap for season one. What is season two? Season two, we are going to the sands of Egypt. Woo-woo! Right. And I am so excited because we do not have a release date for season two, but I am very confident in saying that I am very excited, and I hope everyone is too, to see your reaction to River God. So I, yeah, I have started River God, and I, I have to say, the first three pages, I was like, oh my fucking God, I can't, I actually can't read this. This, like, <laughs> the first three pages have ruined it for me. I am pushing through, and I'm glad to report that I am, I'm calming down a little bit. Yes. So join us for season two to find out why I'm quite so irate about the first three pages of River God. <laughs> yes, leave him with a wonderful little teaser. I'm excited as anyone else to hear your reaction to it because it's my favorite book of all time. So dun, dun, dun. Anyway. Thank you everyone for joining us. This was fun. We're going to start recording season two in the next couple of weeks and it should be releasing in early 2024. So check back around January time. Keep an eye on our socials as well, because we'll put a definitive release date out as soon as we have one. And we'll see you next season. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review. And you can also follow us on social media at The Reading Party Podcast. If you'd like to leave us a book or movie suggestion, then email us at thereadingpartypod at gmail.com. See you next week. Mm -hmm.